Like every right. fight, every movie has directed DVD sequels. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Titanic has directed DVD sequels. Mm-hmm. Jack's Revenge, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Titanic Three: Heart of the Ocean. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. With me again is the co-host from San Diego, Keith Foster. That's right, and you, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains, are Cassidy Robinson. Are or is? Are. You, you, you are, are Cassidy Robinson. Cassidy yes. Robinson. Okay. There was just, you is? <laughs> I guess it depends on where you're from. <laughs> but, uh, yes, and we have an episode today. We're going to be talking about the boys in the band. Not exactly a horror film. And not related to the boys, the TV series, the smash hit TV series on Amazon Prime. Yes. And this will probably be the one place you're not hearing about the boys because holy shit. Is that the it TV show right now? Yeah. I watched the boys. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I like it. Yeah. I like Carl Urban. uh, Yeah, he's good. It's fucked up. Um, I mean, the the breakaway star is the guy who plays Homelander. He is is such a good villain. Right. It's a comic book thing, right? Like, and Seth Rogen's involved somehow? He's just a producer. Right. Uh, Yeah, it's based off the comic book series uh, by Garth Ennis. So that's two Ennis adaptations that Seth Rogen has brought to the small, the small screen. screen. Yes. But uh, The Boys is, seems to be a much bigger hit than Preacher. And, you know, I think Preacher would have been better suited for something like Amazon or Netflix where they didn't have the rating right. constriction that, I mean, AMC, you know, AMC gives them a long rope, but it's still just not preacher yeah no it it, right i don't know there's been so many things where it's like the thing i wanted to happen like wanted to come to pass for years eventually does and then it's not really what i had in mind like it's usually on amc and it's usually on amc the other one (laughs) the other one being the walking dead but a lot of people were on that train or still are somehow I mean, there's a there's a third spinoff show now. So there's there's three fucking Walking Dead shows right now. Can you still watches it? I don't know. Apparently enough people. I can't think of anything less interesting right now than a a zombie soap opera on television. I couldn't think of anything less interesting five years ago when I was actually watching it. (laughs) Right. So we're talking about boys in the band. We're not talking about (laughs) the boys. Uh, And then at the end of the episode, we're also going to be discussing the original Fright Night, which was your streaming homework to me, which is available to watch on Shudder. I believe it's probably on Amazon Prime as well. Check all the streamers. Yeah, I watched it on Amazon. I think I watched it on Shudder. But check all the streaming and uh, find it. It's it's pretty accessible. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like it's having a, a big year this year for some reason. I don't know. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's one of those things where it's just like, I didn't notice how many people talk about it every Halloween because I hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems like, or maybe it's just because it is so available right now and and 
people just like they're going for the streaming stuff that's free. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, but, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll talk about it. I wanted to talk to you about this uh, at the beginning of the show because uh, we've been watching horror movies on our off time. Not necessarily stuff we're going to talk about on the show. Um, but just because we're in the mood, it's the season and all that. Uh, and we have a little group discussion in our Mar- Marco Polo app. Um, where, you know, we just kind of check in with each other and talk about what we're watching. You've been on a vampire marathon mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and yeah. of course, Fright Night is sort of works into that for you. Um, but you also said sort of offhandedly that you visited the, the exorcist steps in Washington, yes. DC. I, I keep forgetting to bring this up on the show. Uh, so, uh, cu- uh, at the beginning of September, uh, me and my wife went to D.C. to um, visit some friends out there. Now, wait, 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 wait. Now, you say beginning of September. That's like four weeks ago. Yeah. Four weeks ago, you traveled to the other side of the country yeah. to hang out with people Yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, okay. All right. Are we really having this conversation right now? Uh, so I have flown twice. Since this pandemic stuff started, um, I flew back to back home um, for a little bit. And then I flew to I did this D.C. trip. Um, I I have a friend who's a flight attendant and uh, he was telling me about like all of the sanitization stuff they do and like and the way the air filters run is it's pretty similar to actually being outdoors because they filter fresh air into the plane. Like they filter the air uh, that you're flying through (laughs) into the plane. So it's not just recycled air like at a store or something. So it's actually not quite as risky as you might think. Um, Plus there's mask mandates. Um, It's a big fucking deal right now. If you're not wearing the mask on the plane, they'll, and they'll, get on you if it's under your nose or if you're wearing it incorrectly, which is more than, you know, like the grocery store or whatever. Um, so yes, I knew it was a risk. Um, it was a calculated risk. And, uh, so that's four planes I've been on flight there, flight back, flight there, flight back. So we did the plane. Okay. We did the plane. We did the trip to DC. We Mm -hmm. saw tenant in a theater. We, uh, demonstrated in the Black Lives Matter protest in the middle of the summer. Keith is a thrill thrill jockey. <laughs> that's what, uh, I, that's okay. what I'm getting out of all of this. I get... And I, a concerned I, citizen, but also... And a movie enthusiast, but also a thrill jockey. So the second scariest I, thing you I did have, uh, on this trip was visit the Exorcist stairs. Uh, okay, I'll also, on the first flight, I had a massive panic attack. So don't think that I'm just, like, cool as a cucumber. I've been out to eat a few times as well, but I only go anywhere that's, you know, outside seating, um, and the tables are far enough apart and stuff. And if it looks crowded, we leave. Like, there have been restaurants that we've driven past and, like, we're like, no, we're passing on this. There's too many fucking people there. So it's... Again, it's, you know, it's not like we're just doing this stuff willy-nilly. We're trying to follow all the guidelines. And so far, all the guidelines have been okay. I'm pretty much home all day by myself. So I'm not 
super worried about exposing other people. And that's my biggest concern for I mean, cor- coronavirus. I originally thought it was weird that you were tweeting hashtag pandemic, but now it <laughs> all kind of makes sense. <laughs> Fuck you. Talk about the exorcist stairs. <laughs> anyway, yes. So in Washington, D.C., uh, there's the famous stairs that the priest falls down. And uh, uh, so we didn't know where we were going. Our friend was just like, hey, let's go check out this part of town. And she was like, this this is a cool thing to look at. And It's Georgetown, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's like, we're just walking. And out of nowhere, there's this empty lot. And there is this massive flight of stairs. It's like as tall as a, you know, uh, like a three or four story building that's right next to it. Um, There's a little plaque on the wall that's like, you know, these are the the famous exorcist stairs. And then uh, they're like really tall and really steep, way scarier than they look on picture or film like. I would not, as a fucking stunt guy, I would not have wanted to fall down that shit. They look <laughs> treacherous. Right. Um, they're like so th- it's I, like three tiers or something. Isn't yeah, it? and yeah. and they're it's high. It's like they could legitimately fuck you up. Um, uh-huh. And so I went about halfway up. And I wasn't going all the way. It was too. I was going to be too tired. But I went about halfway up, and then I did the Joker dance. Oh, that's what you decided to do? Well, you didn't want to, like, possess yourself with the spirit of Pazuzu and then just tumble down? No, that sounds painful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> On a but couple no, it was, it's a really cool little hidden landmark and a, a cool little part of film history. I took uh, photos, so uh, mm-hmm. remind me and we'll get those posted to our Instagram. Yeah. Of course, if I were to go to D.C., I'd want to go to the Discord house and take a picture on the steps. But, you know, that's fair. All right. Well, the the first thing I had planned here, I took a survey, a horror themed survey um, from a horror group I'm in on Facebook. It's a lot of the same people that uh, hang out on our uh, on our podcast Facebook. So um, but I was I've been sort of talking on here and I wanted to get a few other perspectives as well. And the question I posed to them was. What's everyone's favorite horror sequels? Uh, and I put a picture just for example, and I said it doesn't have to be any sequels that are included in this image, which you were not seeing, so it doesn't matter. Um, but <laughs> I will read off some of these answers while you, I'm reading. Uh, think about what your answer might be, and I will ask you later. Um, Jeff- so let me clarify. When you say favorite horror sequels, are you talking? Are you talking like you prefer the sequel to the original? Not or necessarily. You just, you just really no. like this sequel. Yeah, just a horror sequel that you like for whatever reason, and it also doesn't have to be a part two. If for whatever reason you like part seven of something or part four oh, of something, okay. then that yeah, counts yeah. as well. It's just okay. anything that's technically a sequel. And if you want to get really crazy, I'll even throw in prequels. Not reboots. Probably, probably not going to be my answer. <laughs> um, all right. So Jeff Pearson says aliens for sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the the obvious answer. And not not that it's bad. It's obvious because it's the best. Because answer. it's really good. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know. Um, and then he also said Poltergeist 2. Um, really? Yeah. 
Josh Hansen. Oh, Poltergeist. I was thinking Exorcist 2, the one that everybody <laughs> hated. No, no, The no. much maligned. I don't see any answers for that. Um, uh, Josh Hansen says, now I think this is probably the most obvious answer. Dawn of the Dead. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that as a sequel. It certainly is. He also says uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which is not necessarily the one usually people go for. Uh, but he says just it has a it has a it's found its cult its audience, following for sure. Yeah, for sure. And he says just for the pure homoerotic wackiness, which it does have a lot of that. Um, uh, Brandon Hall says Evil Dead 2 is basically my favorite movie. But whether it's <laughs> truly a sequel or not, it's a separate can of tree limbs oh i see what Uh, he's doing there yeah cute if it were out of uh if it's out of contention then dawn of the dead i think evil dead 2 counts because they pretty much do evil dead in the first Mm -hmm. 10 minutes or so they just kind of do a quick prologue to get you through evil dead and then they kind of just re like do a long form version of ash in the cabin for the rest of the movie yeah, I I honestly, in my head, can't distinguish Evil Dead from Evil Dead 2. Oh, uh, you can if you watch them again. Yeah, probably. And if I or if, and if I watch them like closer together and stuff, yeah. I, I probably could. But like in my head, they're just a mishmash of yeah the same thing. So I can't honestly say which one I prefer. But they're um, made about six to seven years apart. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if you watch them right next to each other or have seen them recently, it's not as hard to distinguish because the special effects and the makeup effects and just the general uh, production quality goes up about five notches between movies. Um, as much as I love the original Evil Dead, and I might even prefer it in some ways, um, but there's a lot of love for Evil Dead here. And here John Kuhn says Evil Dead 2 and Don are obvious says Friday 2 is my favorite of the series, Friday the 13th. To me, Friday the 13th Part 2 is like the first real Friday the 13th movie. Like, I, I mean, the first one's great, um, but it's it's such a mixed bag of psycho ripoff and Halloween, uh, ripoff. Halloween ripoff. Right. That I, I feel like Part 2 is where it really is like, oh, this is what this this is what this movie series is gonna be right right i i uh and some people even might say not until part three because part three is where he first dons a hockey mask yeah i i guess but i part two is legitimately like a pretty decent movie and part three is like that's when stuff starts to get pretty campy and you know it's literally i I mean let's be real it's not a very good film series it's famous because the killer kind of looks cool that's yeah, about it. I I think that the first two have some actual merit as as like movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after part three, once he gets that fucking hockey mask, uh, Jason just becomes too too charismatic, too too like the iconography the iconography becomes too powerful, and so like that's what the movies yeah. are about after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it became about going to the grocery store and buying a hockey mask and a fake fake machete and that's what the movie's more people know about 
Jason than have actually seen the movies. Yes. Because if, I the, def- if the amount of people who dress up as him had actually seen the movies, there would be way less people excited about Friday the 13th. <laughs> um, I, I think they're fun. I mean, a some lot of, of them I, are Some of them are better bad, than others. But... Some of them are better than others. And some are bad in a fun way. But, I mean, largely speaking, none of them would be on my list. Uh, but he says Friday 2 is his favorite. He also makes a case for Basket Case 2. Now, I just saw the first Basket Case for the first time. And I don't know if we'll get to that uh, this month on the show. So I don't want to say too much about it. But it is fun. Um, so I got to check out Basket Case 2. Uh, Toxic Avenger 2. Um, those movies are wild. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they're trauma films. So, you know, it's mostly just... Yeah schlock and and gore and sadomasochism but you know those those movies in particular are kind of weird because it's like sort of a like friendly neighborhood toxy superhero-ish type vibe to him as well i mean he had a cartoon um and then he says uh another vote for poltergeist 2 um and then he also says return of the living dead 2 is underrated he says i like i think i've seen that one um, I have not. I've only seen the first Return of the Living Dead. Although I definitely remember the cover to Return of the Living Dead 2 um, in the uh, video store. It says, I like Saw 2. I know Saw is looked down upon, but I'm a fan. Sometimes Conjuring 2 is great. So he's a, this guy just loves sequels. He's just all about it. Um, it says Aliens is good, but oh, I, this is a little contentious. He says Aliens is good, but nowhere near the original. There are some people. I, there are some people yeah. who make that argument. Yeah, I can. I mean, they're so different that I can't fault one for liking the other. If someone said Alien Three was their favorite, that's wild. Yeah, that's just that's just contrarian. Yeah, or Alien Resurrection, or anything post. Like I could even see a certain type of horror fan preferring Resurrection, just because of like the. The weird French steampunky quality to yeah, it. Yeah, it is. It is has its own weird style, and yeah. it is very like. It's not one that movies. I like, but I I get that it was going for something. Yeah, and if that was like your first exposure to the alien world, I could see it. But yeah, Alien Three is nobody's favorite. No. Um, and then he says, "Scream Two is garbage. Hatchet Two. Wow." <laughs> I don't think that's that contentious. I mean, really? I think Scream, as far as like slasher franchises go, is is one of the most consistent. I don't think Scream drops off until is it Scream Three? That's the dog shit one. I think it's. I think there's a uh, there's definitely a diminishing diminishing return. returns on every on every on every sequel that comes out. I mean, there was also a TV show, which I didn't watch, but no. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. By the time you get to scream Four, it's like a shell of its original idea. Um, he says, fantastic scream for apologists. No, I am. I, I know the people were excited when that movie first came out. Cause they were just excited about scream in general, but it's not a good movie. Uh, scream. And he says, a uh, hatchet Two and phantasm two were disappointing. And this, this I like. He says, I still know what you did last summer wins the prize for dumbest title. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, and then uh, Jenny K down here says Evil Dead 2 and probably Aliens. 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, I again, I think those are pretty standard. Yeah. That's answers. Kind like of those what are would expect. Yeah, and they're great movies. There, there's a reason they're the standards. Right. So, do you have a different answer? What would be your favorite? Um. Horror yeah. Aliens. Uh. Obvi- yeah. Again, Aliens, Evil Dead. To well, again, I already said my stuff about Evil Dead. Um. Oh. Uh. But I, I also really like Army of Darkness. It's. Uh, totally di- I think it's a lot of fun um I think I in some ways I think I might prefer that one because it's it's a totally different type of movie um mm-hmm. uh as far as the the slashers go um I really liked the 2018 Halloween um I thought that was a solid entry uh in in a franchise that hasn't had a good run in a long time kind of a reboot but it's it, it's in canon with the first movie so I, i'll one? call it a sequel the david gordon green the 2018 one. Oh, halloween yes yeah um as far as i'm gonna throw one on here that might be a bit controversial okay um i love freddy versus jason Oh, Both I, a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel and a Friday the 13th sequel. Kind of. It's campy as fuck. Uh-huh. Uh, it's ridiculous. I watched it earlier this summer, actually. And for the most part, it I think it holds up. It's got some dated dialogue and some dated references. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like the, the Stoner J ripoff is really weird now. Uh, it was whatever it was, 2003 or four when that movie came out. So yeah, yeah it made more uh, sense but then. I still think that movie is a hell of a lot of fun and a, a good sequel for both franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, fuck. I just thought of one, too, that I, I'm blanking on. Um, oh, uh, uh, one that we reviewed recently, uh, Doctor Sleep, sequel to The Shining. Yes. Um, it's a an awesome sequel to both the movie and the book, and and kind of ties those uh, those frayed ends together in a in a way that I really liked. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, those are just the ones off the top of my head. What do, what do you got? Uh, I would put that pretty high on my list. Actually, Doctor Sleep is one that I thought about um, for the reasons you said. It it uh, it accomplishes satisfying, you know, the sequel to a movie that was adapted by a book that the writer hated the adaptation of. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it all, and Stephen King is not picky when it comes to no, his movie adaptations. He, he, he directed maximum overdrive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, love Dr. Sleep a lot. That movie really, really surprised me. I mean, it was on my top 10 of last year, so you can go back and look at that if you want. Um, I also, if we're talking the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, which I think, for my money's worth, as far as, like, the 80s pop horror multiple sequels go, those ones are the ones that are the most fun to watch. Because even the bad mm-hmm. ones have really creative kills and have really creative special effects, and they're, they're all dealing yeah. in, like, surrealism and dream logic. So it's fun to see how all these different filmmakers kind of attack that in different ways, even if sometimes the story stuff gets hokey um, or the acting can be kind of bad and whatever, but there's always something to get from those movies, even the worst ones. 
But, of course, everyone's going to say Dream Warriors is the best uh, sequel, if not just, for some people, the best uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film. Mm-hmm. And that's probably fair. I, I actually kind of like uh, 3, 4, and 5 in succession. I think it's a fun little like trilogy there that's happening in the middle of that franchise. Like those three mm-hmm. kind of tell one story. Of course, two is interesting, but it's not necessarily a good movie, but it is fascinating to watch. Um, yeah. And now there's a, there's a documentary about that now on shutter called scream queen, um, which I definitely recommend people watch that if they have seen uh, the, the second one, the second nightmare on Elm street, uh, Freddy's revenge, uh, check out scream queen. Cause it kind of like goes into some stuff. Um, but, uh, what else? Uh, we talked a lot about recently on our Marco Polo group, Halloween three season of the witch. Oh yeah. I, I just think that movie is bonkers. I don't even, I mean, I guess it is technically Halloween three, but I don't know if right. I really count it as a sequel. Cause, uh, you know, it doesn't have Michael Myers. It was meant to be like an anthology spinoff thing. Um, I'm actually kind of sad that that didn't get off the ground. Because mm-hmm. um, I like that idea. And I don't think anything like that has really been done before. And that in the way that they were attempting. Uh, yeah, so I I think that movie is worth mentioning. But I don't know if it's a good movie, honestly. I I think it's decent. I mean, it's very of its time. It's it's an '80s horror film in pretty much every way, um, and uh, it I mean it plays around with some of the like kind of like um, conspiracy stuff that was kind of yeah, popular it, at that it's, time. I when, mean, okay, I, don't get me wrong. It's a fun movie. Yeah, I just. I don't know. It's a how... B movie. I mean, I'm not yeah, going to say that yeah. it's not a B movie. It's it definitely is. But I think it's more self-aware than people um tried to play it off as when it, when it initially came out. I think the it's it's one of those movies like when it first came out everyone hated it and then yeah. there's sort of a backlash to the backlash and people will say like it's like a brilliant movie and it's neither. It's Was that directed by Carpenter? No. Oh, no, okay. he, that... he he hung on as producer. He might have had something to do with the soundtrack. Um, okay. But uh, but no, he, he, he didn't direct that one. And I think he only directed the first Halloween. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. I was going to say that he was is a producer the, for a while. That is not the first time in John Carpenter's career that he's had a movie come out that people hate. And then yeah. there's a backlash to that. And then, you know. Right, right. He's... Yeah, no, I I mean I, he was closely involved but he didn't he didn't direct it. Um but yeah, I think it's worth a look at. It's interesting. It's it's really fucking weird. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers, but I I kind of like it for what it is. Um and then do you here's a question. Um um do you count the first Terminator, the first two Terminators as horror movies? I mean, I would count the first one as a sci-fi horror film. Um, because it's yeah. that one more so. I think part two, it it's a there's certainly horror elements to it. I mean, T one thousand stalking people, you know, stabbing people in the face with knife hands and stuff. I mean, it it kind of goes there, but it's a horror movie in the same way that like Jurassic Park is a horror movie. Like it's it's the horror is sort of taking a backseat to 
the special effects and the like blockbustery quality to it. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's an argument there. Um, I would say the, and it, the first one more so. And I think it kind of like the at least the first two kind of get included in horror culture in a way. Right. Well, genre film culture. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it wouldn't be weird to be at a horror convention and there's like a panel on Terminator 2. No, or, no. You know, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be out of place. No, but it's, it's adjacent. Um, and I think that's what the Terminator franchise has lost. You're probably right. Actually, somebody should go back to that. I think in general, and maybe that just has more to do with just like the way genre films are written now, like genre films in general used to be more thrilling and had more mystery and more suspense than they do now. Mm -hmm. Um, They kind of cross genre a little more. Yeah. Like Spielberg had no problem with scaring the shit out of people Mm -hmm. um, early on in his career. And then at a point he kind of lost interest in that. But um, anyway, I remembered the other thing. I like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. You know that is on my list of shame. I I don't know shame, um, but that's one that I've wanted to see for a long time. I I'm hoping to catch that before October ends this year. It's a different we'll beast. It. I mean, you know, the first one is this like cinema verite, creepy, you know, weird documentary ish looking thing. Looks like you're watching a snuff film. The yeah, second yeah. one, the well, second like one is like a yeah, it's like a, a horror comedy, and it's like you know a lot more sort of pop energy to it. And you know, there's Dennis Hopper and Leatherface dueling with chainsaws and stuff like that. So I it, just think it's incredibly interesting because Tobe Hooper directed both. Both, yeah. And I, th- I think yeah. at the time there was a negative review of of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 that said something to the effect of not only does this not feel like the same director, it doesn't feel like, or it says something to the effect, not only does this not feel like the same director made this film, but it feels like it was made by somebody who never seen the first movie. <laughs> um, which I wouldn't go that far as to say. It, it is very much a Gremlins, Gremlins 2 kind of situation. Oh, there's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I Gremlins 2 come on I think it's better than the original I'll say it the new batch yeah alright um, alright well that was fun um, now for something completely different let's go ahead and start talking about uh, the main review of the week this was released on Netflix a few weeks ago it is a remake of sorts um, or uh, another adaptation of the play The Boys in the Band um, there is a horror connection, though, because the original adaptation of The Boys in the Band from 1970 was directed by William Friedkin, who would later go on to direct The Exorcist. Oh, I didn't know there was another movie of this. Um, yes. So so The Boys in the Band is uh, based on a play by Mark Crowley, and it was written in the 60s, towards the end of the 60s, and it was an off-Broadway hit um, of sorts. He was sort of a fixture in... In uh, sort of the off-Broadway scene, New York kind of intellectuals, um, as well as Hollywood, and people knew him. Um, and he wrote this play, and it was well known at the time because it was one of the first pieces of media, period, to really show uh, adult gay men living and hanging out together, where the entire cast—well, not the entire cast, but—well, actually, the original— 
cast was primarily was primarily gay as well, even if some of them weren't out at the time. But uh, it was one of the one of the few stories where it was like primarily about gay men. And it wasn't mm. a situation where they were the villains or they were going to get killed or they were vampires or whatever. Or, or coded somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was just them living their lives and their issues. Um, now, if you've seen uh, the original play, which you've seen the movie, so you've essentially seen the play. It's pretty it's pretty uh, uh, sticks pretty close to the original stage play as far as the dialogue and stuff goes. And I would imagine probably the staging of certain scenes or whatever is probably not terribly different either. Um, maybe just opened up a little bit uh, through camera work. But um, Mark Crowley is very, I would say, explicitly influenced by... Um, oh, who's the guy who wrote uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof? Oh, uh... Um, and Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, I can't think of his name. Uh, uh, Tennessee Williams. Tennessee Williams, yes. yes. So he's a big fan of the sort of the Tennessee Williams style melodramas where people are stuck in this, you know, a situation and tensions rise and uh, and it, it, it get, gets to a place where everybody uh, starts unloading these truths on each other in this sort of vicious way. Um, but it's also sort of a comedy and stuff. So I am more interested, actually, to hear what you have to say about it, because I'm pretty familiar with this. I've, I've owned the original Boys on the Band um, DVD for years, and I've watched it many times. And so I was, I was curious to see this, this adaptation, because this, the original Boys of the Band was the original cast of that play. And oh, then okay. they, they got the money to, to, uh, to put it on screen. Um, and then this version was the revival of the play with the same cast and then put on screen as well. And, uh, I mean, this film has a lot of familiar names. People might know Jim Parsons from, from the, the Big Bang Theory. We have Zachary Quinto. We have Matt Bomer, Andrew Rannells. So a lot of famous people. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of TV actors. Uh, character actors and that kind of stuff get to share share some time together. Um, so, what did you think of this version of Boys in the Band? And I'll I'll say right off the bat, there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. Okay, um, but well, I, I mean, I'll get into it a little bit more. But as far as like the actual story and the dialogue and stuff, it's pretty much exactly the same. Uh, okay. I feel like this is a little loaded here. Uh, <laughs> I am personally. Not the biggest fan of stage to screen adaptations. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have a tendency to to feel self indulgent at times um, uh, and overly. Uh, I can't think of the the word um, posturing. Uh, it, it, they have a tendency to feel very like. Um, Oscar grabby and it's you know it's because it comes from something that is very writ uh, yeah so I have to say I might have a little bit of a bias here um, I do think this I do think it is interesting uh, because of all the things you're talking about like um, you know it's set in 1968 and it's about a bunch of 
gay characters that are friends. And I was like, oh shit, okay, that I get I get the appeal of that. My problem I, I and, and let me be clear, I think this movie works best when it's being a movie. And uh there's some sequences with where they play with like camera work in in fun, interesting ways, like the way Harold's character is introduced. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, there's these sequences where they show these sort of memory flashbacks. Um, those are what stood out to me the most as like, okay, that is something that you could do as a movie that you couldn't do as a stage production. Yeah, they try and open it up a few different ways. Yeah, and I kind of wish they had maybe done that a little bit more even. Um I could tell within minutes that this was based off a play. I know I knew nothing about this going into it, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, I literally thought it was going to be like something like that thing you do or something. Uh, <laughs> a literal band? Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, when the fuck are they going to start singing? Um, <laughs> they do sing. Uh, yeah, they do. Singing, uh, that's, singing occurs. That's fair. Um, I think that the the story is pretty interesting and, mm. and where the dramatic tension comes from with the friend or the, the old college friend. Like, I think right. the script is good. It's solid, but I Maybe ultimately... we should set that up a little bit. What Before we get into the criticisms of it, and you've gotten into it a little bit, but what is the, the general premise of the movie? Uh, okay, so Michael, Jim Parsons' character, is throwing a birthday party for Harold, uh, Zachary Kinto's character, um, and, a, you know, a bunch of their friends in the gay community show up, during this, uh, before the party, uh, Michael gets a call from, uh, they're all just like generic first names. He gets a call from his old college roommate who only knew him In while college. he was closeted uh, and who is himself, I mean, you know, there's reveals and stuff later, uh, but who is himself a, a straight man. Mm-hmm. So he's having this sort of crisis and wants to see Michael for reasons that are not evidently clear. Um, he tells him, he, you know, he doesn't really want to see him, but uh, or he can't really tonight because he's having his party. Um, and he stops by anyway. And so uh, a lot of the dramatic tension comes from this hetero-identifying character suddenly being thrown into this very uh, gay party. Yeah, this yeah. And yeah. and having to confront his own sexuality along with the sexuality of these seven strangers right. in a very confrontational way. Um, <laughs> and about as confrontational as it gets. And I think um it's and it's also in nineteen sixty eight. Right. right? Like, I think that's, that's a, the a big really ex- important that's a big part. X factor. Cause a story like this, yeah, like I I don't want to get into it too much because this kind of goes into what I want to say about it overall. But like the fact that this is 1968 changes everything because this is this was this takes place at a time before when just the fact that these men were hanging out together would be illegal. Yeah. Like not not even like having sex or kissing or any of that, but like just congregating would be illegal. So there's a certain amount of tension there that obviously wouldn't exist necessarily everywhere today. Yeah. Or, or, or even in the same, 
certainly not in the same context. Right. Um, uh, just like yeah. pre-Stonewall, pre-everything. Oh, I, I, when was Stonewall? Not very long after. I think after the play premiered, Stonewall happened maybe a year later later or, yeah, or less. It was like okay. right there. Yeah, it was, it was around. I, I thought it was the late 60s. So I, I thought it was like 68 or mm-hmm. I guess maybe 69. I don't know. Um, yeah, so that context is is huge. And, you know, I think as a a piece of, you know, uh, gay cinema and gay history, this is, this is a, you know, it is an interesting watch because even now you don't see a, a lot of gay characters portrayed this way. It's getting better. Um, uh, but even still, there, you know, it tends to... Uh, you know, except for maybe the last three or four years, gay characters tend to still get pretty tokenized, right? Um, or the, uh, they're they're the friend, still a lot of, or they're the huh? they're the friend a character, or they're the uh, the sassy waiter, or they're the whatever. Like very very rarely in regular movie world do we see a whole cast where they're the main character and that's secondary to who they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I so I do think that that is a, a really interesting aspect about this movie as well. Um, and, you know, that it's a mainstream Netflix release mm-hmm. um, starring a lot of uh, really uh, a lot of really hot gay actors. Uh, pun definitely intended. <laughs> uh, you get to see some Matt Bomer peen. You do. <laughs> And and that uh, is one difference from the seventies film is there is a lot more nudity in this one. Yeah, and it it uh, it um it doesn't shy away from the male body or or it's homosexual like it's gayness like this is a very gay movie. Um, honestly, my biggest criticism is the thing I said about it, you know, being a stage adaptation, right. and I'm just not a huge Jim Parsons fan. It, and he does have to carry the whole thing. And um, he has obviously the biggest arc in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, he, is to it me? Now, is it he, hang up? Is it Bazinga hang up? Or is no, it? No, because I, I didn't really watch Big Bang Theory. So I'm not familiar right. enough with that character for that to really affect me. It's, it's his acting style feels very stagey. It feels yeah. like it's a Broadway performance. Uh, and the fact that you you mentioned that he played this character on Broadway, right? Yeah, in the revival, yeah. That actually makes a lot more sense to me because he, he it doesn't feel like he's playing for the camera in a, in the way that even the other actors do. Um, That's true. And to me, that was really frustrating. Matt Romer plays it who shares a lot of the same screen time because they're a couple mm-hmm. in the film or kind of, um, they are, uh, he plays it much more low and exactly. he, he's not like projecting to the rafters, the whole movie, the same way Jim Parsons is. I think the only other character that really is, is Emery who is a big flamboyant queen. So even him, it makes a lot more sense for his performance to be bigger. Yeah. Um, but just like, Man, every line delivery with Jim Parsons feels so predictable and boring to me. It's it's 
it's not that he's doing a bad job per se. It's not like a uh like a B movie, like this guy doesn't know how to act. It's just that he just is such an uninteresting actor to me. <laughs> like I I really I can read the script while he's performing it. Like I can see those words written down and it's just like you can see just, his you can see his script that he's underlined the words he's gonna he's going to uh exactly. different or add an intonation. It just feels to so yeah. It just feels so basic. It feels like like every, you know, gay theater kids version of his monologues. Like it just right. but and, and here's the, here's what I would say about Jim Parsons performance in the film, which I didn't hate as much as you did. I do agree that he is probably the stagiest of the bunch between him and Zachary Quinto. Um, I think, but uh, yes, I, our, our, I agree. Zachary Quinto is kind of on the same level, but to he's me, doing much a different more... thing. But it 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 feels more acted than some of the other characters who really do blend into the environment. I think Andrew Reynolds just walked off the set of Girls, and he's just doing Andrew, Andrew Reynolds. Like and he, I think it's great. it's great. I think it's great for this. Uh, and, uh, and actually, his... in in this case, I prefer his take on that character more than the original. Um, oh, okay. And, interesting. And between the two films, there are certain I like. I have like preferences. Um, I mm. like um, I like the new Emery more than the old Emery, largely because the old Emery was one of the few straight actors. Um, oh, interesting. And so, I guess you know, Brave at the time, blah blah blah. It's a little hard to watch now because yeah. he's really laying it on thick, and it's just like you can tell. Yeah, and Emery is is flamboyant but believable. Right. In this movie, it you know, I think he it, it works more. It just it works better to have a gay actor play that part for every reason. And then also <laughs> yeah. and also I think he just naturalizes it more in general. Um but uh but yeah, and then and then I think the old Harold is far superior to Zachary Quinto's Harold. And that's a hard for me that's the, the oh, interesting. the hardest character to nail in this movie because he's the character they talk about for about 40 minutes before he shows up in the movie. And yeah. so there's this huge build up to this character and I I didn't really look up who was in it. So I know how big that character is and how how you know he has a grand entrance and everything and um I know those lines he has to say in the movie. So I'm like, mm-hmm. who are they going to get to play Harold? And then in comes Zachary Quinto. I go, oh, no. <laughs> um, and I eventually kind of went with it. Like, it's not so bad. It does definitely feel like you went to New York and you see the revival of Boys in the Band and Zachary Quinto is playing that part. Um, yeah. But, you know, I eventually kind of went with his choices. But um, I... I I much prefer the original actor for that one. Um, but as far as Jim Parsons go, the reason why his, his stagey performance of that works more for me is because I think that character is dealing with identity a lot. And he's I, kind no, of, I, he's like the one who's dealing with the code switching the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who he's always on some performance. Like he, he trying to perform one way for his friends and not just like gay straight. He's also trying to perform as well adjusted when he's not. He's yeah, also trying yeah. to perform as 
as a you know a modern uh city homosexual when inside of him he's this like seriously repressed catholic who's like you know tearing him tearing himself up inside and so he's he has all these layers of of performance as a person so i think and then on top of that i think that character in particular is sort of embodying that tennessee williams like him and harold are embodying <sighs> that 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 tennessee williams kind of back and forth um yeah like you can tell that you can tell that both Harold and Michael, it feels like they're probably both aspects of the playwright's personality. Oh, absolutely. I think it, Mark it, Crowley said every character is himself, just different yeah. parts of himself. Totally. Um, um, and I get that. And, and I get, I actually think the character of Michael is really interesting in what you talk about of all those layers. Yeah. It, that's why it's frustrating to see an actor play it with exactly one layer. It's it, it like it just he just isn't good. He, he's not like, again, I think that's the kind of performance that would work on Broadway mm-hmm. for me, for my money. It didn't work in a movie. Um, I found him to be frustrating and boring. Um, I I haven't seen the original, so I actually liked Zachary Quinto's uh, his uh, interpretation of Harold. You're you're right. He felt stagey, but I still felt like he was making more interesting choices. Um, right, and, and I, I mean, but I I'm very huh? biased on the performance of Harold because that the original actor just like you know, he, yeah, he's he like, just he, it's his role. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's he's like one of the great screen characters of all time. Whereas this feels like a little bit like seeing Zachary Quinto on Saturday Night Live doing a thing. Yeah, like, I can see that. Like, it's not, a, I didn't hate it, and I eventually kind of, like, dealt with it, but, I mean... It, he doesn't lose himself. No, no like, it's always I, I still see him in it. Yeah. Yeah. I still see Spock um, back there. Yeah, and so, but it's just, for my money, the movie worked best when it was treating it like a movie, mm-hmm. and so, to me, the, the characters that stood out the most were... Uh, Matt Bomer and Andrew Rannells, who mm. were playing it Very like for screen. Very natural. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I guess I just wanted to, s- I think the movie would have worked a lot better if the two fucking leads had been more on that level. Uh, because it, it makes it feel dated in a way that the movie was trying to feel contemporary. Right. And I think that's my my overall take on this is I think it's fine. I think if um, somebody who isn't privy to the original or never saw it on Broadway or never whatever, they're just flipping around on Netflix and happen to land on it because they like some of the actors or whatever. I think they're going to get everything they get out. They should get out of Boys in the Band. I think it's a faithful and pretty well done adaptation. But my thing as a fan of the original is if you're going to do it again, I would have actually liked to see them take more liberties with it. I would have actually liked to seen them make it more contemporary, maybe set it in present day. I know that that kind of difficult in some ways, but as far as like the, the politics, but I think you can, you know, the, the basic bones or structure of the story of, mm. of, you know, an interloper coming into this friend situation and getting awkward. I mean, they did an episode of Girls that pretty much mirrored this. <laughs> I don't um, remember that. It was one. in season three where they're all at the beach house and they all, oh. all the, the tensions just rise to the surface. 
And, mm. you know, everyone who's seen this called it, you know, the girls in the band episode. Um, oh, <laughs> that's funny. And, and we've seen this done in other things as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a formula that works. You get yeah. all the char- you know, all these characters together. You get them sort Drunk of trapped and, in this location. Yeah. And and then, you know, you have all the shit come out like that's that's a great formula for, for a, a play. play. Yeah. And I think I think. The places, like you said, that were where they open it up a little bit more. They 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 do the flashbacks, you know, this pool scene and things like that. And in the beginning, it's sort of sandwiched between some more out of the apartment stuff because it largely takes place just in this loft. But um, you know, there's some stuff like with Andrew Reynolds, like hitting on guys and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked I liked that. I liked the way they opened it up, and I I kind of thought like, man, it would be interesting to see what a like an uh. Uh, contemporary version of the story would be and how would you get around you know some of the politics and stuff to make it contemporary or make it relevant still um yeah and i I mean i think it's a relevant story regardless because a lot of those a lot of the conversations that are happening even if the politics are different now are still very much the internal conflicts that a lot of people go through well and and just the the idea of someone Coming in an invader in a safe space, mm-hmm. making that space no longer safe, like that's you know, that thematically is always gonna work. Right. There's always gonna be something interesting when someone who's not supposed to be there is there. Right, yeah. And I think, you know, even like a gender or like gender swap version or whatever, like there's a lot of different ways you could do this story and it's still basically play. Um mm-hmm. And I would have been interested to see them play around with it more. Now, I know that at the time, Mark Crowley has since passed since this movie came out. But um, he was on set and he was very involved in the revival on Broadway and that kind of thing. So I think there was some reverence um, to the whole yeah. to the whole project. And, then, you know, when they brought it back to Broadway, however many years ago, um, it hadn't been in a really long time. So there would have been, you know, no great excuse to update it for a whole audience who'd never seen the original. Yeah. So I get the argument for that too. And, and, you know, I still like period pieces enough. Um, like I said, it's, it's, if you've never seen boys in the band, if you have no like familiar knowledge of it at all, I think it still works on all the levels it's supposed to basically. Um, each movie has its pluses and minuses, but they're pretty comparable. Um, and I don't know if that's the general consensus out there. Um, I would, I haven't looked at other reviews of it. Uh, I'm sure there are very strong opinions, especially theater people, because they have very strong opinions about everything, especially gay theater. people. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to ask if you, if the, uh, to bring on Andrew on this, but, um, you know, I didn't want to have to like give him homework in the last minute. Uh, he also hasn't seen it. Yeah. But it would be interesting yeah. to hear his thoughts on it. He is your gay theater roommate, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not Andrew Randall. That would be cool to have him on the podcast too, though. Yeah. If he's <laughs> if he's not doing anything. If anyone knows, you know, hook us up. But yeah. But yeah, no, I, I thought this was fine. I um I sort of just enjoyed watching it in that way that I guess some people like to go to Broadway to see the revival of blah blah blah. 
Um, yeah. You know, their favorite plays, they'll always go see the new cast, whoever it is, and just see how they deal with it and how the actors kind of tackle those lines and stuff like that. And I had fun doing all that because I, I've seen the original so many times. I know a lot of those lines, but I, uh, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think it's fine. I, I'm not, I'm not in love like, with it, but it's fine. The first half of the movie is just these fun characters hanging out, having a good time. And I'm always right. going to like watching something like that. Um, right. They're, I, they're kind of low stakes. I mean, there are, there are high stakes and high emotional stakes, but nobody's trying to stop a bomb from going off. Nobody's yeah. trying. You know, it's, it's a hangout movie. Well, yeah. And even like, I mean, even before there really are stakes, when it's literally just like, hey, let's have dinner and dance. Like, I, I enjoy seeing people have a good time sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... And I also, I didn't notice the, my problems with the movie as much when it was less dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when, when it felt like Jim Parsons was, wasn't acting, <laughs> uh, it was better. You know, when he was just sort of being one of the guys, one of the boys, yeah. uh, you know, but then he gets this, he gets this, big. Uh, he gets big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he gets also, drunk and then he gets big. Yeah, and uh, and also I didn't really believe his drunk. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm sure that was part of the act. I don't think they actually sauced everybody, although who knows? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Randall's was getting kind of sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say, uh, as far as drunk acting, Matt Bomer seemed the most real, realistically drunk to me. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It was it was a mixed bag for me. I actually think I might probably enjoy the original more. Yeah, I would say, especially now that you've seen the new one. Um, like I said, it's pretty much the same. So, I mean, the dialogue doesn't change that much. I think they they do. There's more stuff at the beginning and end. To mm-hmm. to open it up a little, but um, basically once they're in that apartment, it's beep per beat. It's the it's the same script that they're working on, and a lot of this line delivery is pretty similar. Um, but it is interesting to look at both. One when was made at the time that the story takes place, and now mm-hmm. you know whatever it's been forty years later. I will say I probably would have left that party a lot sooner. Well, I think everybody would have that sort of like, <laughs> I mean, that's the way that these kind of plays work. It's, it's like the, the simple answer is everybody should just leave. Even at one point, the guy who wasn't supposed to be there wants to leave and they make him stay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is the the convenient, uh, very, you know, very theatrical um, yeah. rainstorm. The You just got to stay for one more drink kind of like writing device to keep everybody in the on stage all right cool let's go ahead and move on now to uh fright night the original fright night oh wait 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 uh uh you gotta grade it oh uh boys in the band remake boys in the band 2020 i give a a b just a b i give it a b minus okay parson bringing it down (laughs) So we'll move on now to the streaming homework. And what what did you you said you watched this on Amazon, right? Yes. Okay, I might have, or I might have watched it on Shutter. I don't remember. I think it's playing on both. But this is Fright Night from 1985, 
And this is directed, written and directed by Tom Holland, not the actor who plays Spider-Man. Mm, yes. <laughs> a different Tom Holland. And uh, this stars uh, William Ragdale and Chris Sarandon, um, Amanda Breers, and uh, Roddy McDowell from the Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, and uh, also Batman the Animated Series. That is true. He was in that It was well. driving me nuts, like... I was like, God, where have I heard that voice before? <laughs> oh, he's the Mad Hatter. <laughs> yeah, so this is a horror film, a horror comedy that came out in the mid-80s. It's a vampire film, a suburban vampire film, of which there were a couple at that time. Um, uh, this one is probably the most explicitly comedy that I can think of. Um, at least in the, you know, the big three, if we're talking about this, Near Dark, and Lost Boys. And the story here is a young a young kid named Charlie is hanging out with his girlfriend one night and he sees his neighbor um, moving in. And while he's moving in, he's moving in a big coffin. Um, and as he starts to suspect weird things are going on with his neighbors, there's all of these disappearances and murders and things that are happening. And he calls upon the help of a television actor played by Roddy McDowell, um, Peter Vincent, who's sort of a, um, like a old actor turned television, like horror host, um, who he believes might have actual vampire knowledge based upon his vampire television career. Um, and you know, it's just a run around the suburbs trying to solve this mystery. Of course, nobody believes him uh, because this neighbor, played by Chris Sarandon, this very handsome, charismatic dude, um, has convinced everybody that uh, Charlie's crazy. Yeah, you know, one of those kind of things. <laughs> well, if you've seen, yeah. like, if you've seen The Burbs or you've seen Rear Window, it's kind of a take on that a little bit, plus vampire, plus horny teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where do I start with Fright Night? This movie is so fucking 80s. Yeah. This is one of the most 80s movies I've seen in a long time, and I just watched Lost Boys and Near Dark. Um, <laughs> I don't know, a lot of this movie didn't play for me. Um, I think, I you know, I think the concept is fun, and you're always... Like, that is, you know, there's just a, a good, there's just a good setup for a movie. Um, you know, kid trying to stop monster, no one believes him kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think, to me, a lot of the comedy in the horror comedy fell pretty flat. Um, uh, some of the acting was a little... Uh, I, I did like um, Chris Sarandon uh, yeah. hamming it up as jerry dandridge i thought he was a really fun villain and i did like roddy mcdowell but his character felt a little out of place to me i don't know i mean i guess his character's supposed to um uh i do think this movie has a pretty good look um even though it's super 80s that has some really good creature effects mm -hmm. um which don't really come into play till till you know closer to the end of the movie um 
but yeah, I don't know. A lot of like the build up to that, I don't know, was a little eh to me. Build up to the action stuff, like build up to the to the reveals. yeah, like build up to him like fully vamping out and stuff was just like kind of like some of the setups were just kind of messy. Um, like the first time when he comes into his bedroom and, and I don't know, I, I felt like sort of unbelievable. I, because he's like about to kill this kid and then the mom comes in is like, I, I don't know. It, there was something about it that felt pretty artificial to me throughout, which, you know, it's a movie. It's a fucking vampire eighties movie. Um, I think I don't know. I think what you're what you're glomming onto is sort of an aesthetic choice. I do think it's a choice. I think that there's because I've seen bad '80s movies that are just bad because they're inept, and I've seen '80s movies that are the way they are because that was just the aesthetic of the time. And I think that this is more the latter. I think this this one feels a lot more like um, it's going for sort of a pop aesthetic. Um, there's sort of the MTV-ness that looms over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think there's a, a, you know, like, this is what, like, I guess maybe it's been long enough now. If you were to show a 17-year-old today American Pie, would that just, like, scream the same way this movie does to us as a as a, a dated movie or a, a time uh, and place? Pro- I mean... Probably, I, I bet it would, and and yeah. you know, and that's okay. Um, yeah, I I I see what you're saying, and I do agree with you. I think my hangups with the movie were just like a lot of the stuff that was. I I mean, it was mostly that the comedy didn't really land with me. I I really liked um, Roddy McDowell. I yeah. thought he was a lot of fun, and I really liked Chris Sarandon. But like. A lot of the stuff with the horny teenagers, I was, I don't know, I just didn't really care for. Uh, like he, the he main does kid. kind of seem like a, uh, like a a low rent um, Ferris Bueller kind of kind of thing, yeah. like a Kmart Ferris Bueller. He, yeah, he just seems so generic to a lot of the actors at that time. Like he he is like a less interesting version of the kid from Gremlins. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, just he's that's he's, an archetype of that time. Period. Right. He's just supposed to be the all-American suburban boy. And um, I just think this actor, it, it, again, isn't just he just isn't particularly engaging with that in a way that, you know, uh, Matthew Broderick was. Right. Um, well, I mean, there's a reason why Matthew Broderick is Matthew Broderick. Yeah, and why this guy, I don't even remember his name. Um, He did stuff, but yeah. uh, I'm sure he did. I think his role in the movie is to kind of be more neutral because everybody else around him is playing much larger. I mean, you have his friend Evil Ed who's doing a lot of acting. A lot. (laughs) Now, did you see the remake? Not yet. Okay. That's on the list. Because the kid who plays him in the remake is Christopher Mintz Plass. From Superbad. Oh, okay. Plays Evil oh, Ed. That's, that's kind of a different direction. but Yeah, uh, and I mean, you know, when you see that, let me know how you feel about his take on that. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I wanted to put a little distance 
between the two, just Fair so enough. it's yeah, just so that I'm not watching it like rolling my eyes, feeling like I just watched this. Like movie. Boys in the Band, I think they're they're kind of comparable. They're doing different things, but they're doing you know the pluses and minuses sort of weigh the same. Um, they're just okay. in different spots. Uh, but yeah, I I, uh, I liked this movie. I had fun with it. I'm. I didn't feel like, oh, I've already seen it because in this situation, I did see the remake first. Mm. Um, so I didn't feel like, oh, well, now I already know everything is going to happen and I don't really care and blah, blah, blah. And it's all just feels like it's on a track and I'm just waiting for the scenes. Um, I did feel yeah. like this was enough of its own thing and that the remake updated things in a certain way and whatever. So I still had fun with this, the tone this movie was going for. Which is decidedly different than the new one. Um, but yeah, I do agree. I, I, I think the main actor is kind of bland, but I don't think he necessarily needs to be doing a whole lot more than he does. No, and you know. Because it's like all I about said, Chris Sarandon, it's all about Evil Ed, it's all about Roddy, Roddy McDowell, and they're the ones who are getting all the punchlines anyway. It's true. And, and they're the ones that it mostly works for. Again, with Evil Ed, uh, I, I liked him a lot more. Uh, spoilers as a vampire, um, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I again, I think that like once it leans a little more into the horror and a little gets away from the comedy, I I liked it a significantly more um, because, like I said, they definitely did the work with like the creature effects and um, uh, that kind of stuff. But you know, if we're rating it with Again, the the big vampire movies of the time, like Near Dark and The Lost Boys, mm -hmm. uh, to me, this one is far and away the weakest. Well, it um, it I I mean, I think it depends on your taste. I I could see somebody saying they like this one the most for whatever reason. Maybe they were just you know it yeah. hit them a certain way when when it came out. But and I guess this one came out. Uh, first before the other two so maybe by a it, little bit i mean actually a closer comparison tonally is probably something like once bitten which is like a yeah a a, a bad knockoff of this movie um uh, is that the one with jim carrey that's the one with jim carrey yeah yeah that one's not good and this lorraine is better hewton. than once bitten <laughs> yeah lorraine hewton but you know but yeah i mean there's you know as far as vampire comedies go and if you're looking at the ones those teen vampire films that we're comparing it to like Catherine Bigelow's take on vampires is like kind of more of a Western noir kind of thing yeah. with near dark. And then with uh, the Lost Boys is much slicker, much more modern. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I way bigger budget, way bigger, way bigger budget, much more kind of going for it for the horror. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, I just stylistically, just stylistically, just a different creature altogether. Whereas this yeah. movie is kind of going for. John Hughes with vampires. Yeah, I just, I mean, there's a reason John Hughes is John Hughes. Like, yeah. I think, you know, that something like Ferris Bueller or even the, you know, Breakfast Club or, or 16 Can like any of his sort of brat pack yeah. uh, movies, I don't think date as much as this does. Like, this just right, feels, yeah. you know, like, I think it would have been a lot it would have been a different story had it been John Hughes who wrote these vampires. Like right. it just, a lot of it feels kind of generic and like 
I think that the what I respond to it in the tone, why I kind of give it a pass for maybe why it dates a little, is there's kind of a nerdier, dweebier quality to this movie that I kind of dig. Like, yeah. there's an innocent, uh, kind of more of an innocence to this film, and a, and a little bit kind of more, I don't know, like, it, it it's going for something pretty different than the other vampire, teen vampire films of the time. Yeah. And I don't think it, like, it doesn't step into that, like, like, Revenge of the Nerds Porky's territory where it gets That's like, true. And like, it very easily could have. Right. Yeah. It doesn't date so bad that it becomes unwatchable now. Um, and I think that it still has fun with the pulp elements. Yeah. And I think, again, it's pretty self-aware. I mean, everything with from Roddy McDowell's character is kind of this Vincent Price type person. Um, kind of Vincent Price meets Elvira sort of figure. Um, yeah, like horror host. Yeah, television character. host thing. So there's there's kind of a, a callback to sort of like horror culture in this movie. Like this is sort of a horror fans horror movie. Whereas the other two are more like actually trying to throw their hat into the ring of a modern contemporary horror film. Yeah. I And I also, to be clear, I didn't hate this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't love it. Um, you know, I probably would have had a much softer spot in my heart had I sort of grown up with this like I did with Lost Boys. Right, um, or any of the others. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's also part of it is I'm seeing it a lot later. Um, you know, if I was a teenager, I might be able to relate a little bit more. Um, right. So, and I you think, know, you know, of, of all of these teen vampire things from the 80s, it makes sense that this one was the one that got remade first. Mm. And that this was the one and it had a pretty successful update. Like it didn't feel jarring. It didn't feel like, why are you doing this? Nobody wants this. this yeah. is, it doesn't feel like if they tried to remake Back to the Future. You know, it's not totally. sacri- it's not I, or even or even Lost Boys. I think there'd be a right. bigger outcry with that. Um, there were yeah. some directed DVD sequels to Lost Boys, but uh, yeah, directed DVD <laughs> sequel is different than <laughs> like a major studio reboot. Like every right. fi- every movie has directed DVD sequels, right? I'm yeah. pretty sure Titanic has directed DVD sequels. Mm-hmm. Jack's Revenge, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Titanic 3, Heart of the Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do you grade this anything? I don't. We usually don't grade our, our homework, I guess. Um, I'd probably give it a B minus. Like, kind of it, in the same ballpark. Yeah. Like, again, there's enough, there's enough going on in it that, that like it, it sort of charms me by the end of it. Um, at the beginning, I found it a little grating, but uh, once it really leans into the horror, I found myself enjoying it a lot more. Yeah, I think the second half pays off uh, pretty big. I think every uh, the scene where the movie like takes off for me is that that scene where they're in the alley and they're yeah. trying to avoid. Totally. They're trying to avoid Chris Sarandon, and they're like you know going into the dance club. I love a good dance club scene in any movie. It's well, just and- like if you just want to add instant um, production quality to any film, just put them in a dance club with techno playing and a bunch of lights and your movie automatically feels that much bigger. It's kind of true, actually. Like if, <laughs> it literally feels like they step into like a, a you another know, world, a, a larger world. Uh, yeah. No, that's exactly I agree with you. That's like a, a pretty clear demarcation point um, because that's sort of when he becomes a genuine threat. 
And I think that's what, like, all of the setups sort of before that were so convoluted Mm -hmm. that I just was like, okay, I'm kind of not buying this. I hope it picks up. And then it does. So, uh, you know, it, it, it rewarded me there. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that is the episode then. And uh, the next episode, the streaming homework I'm going to have us do, keeping on the horror tip. Um, we kind of talked around it a lot today. We're going to be doing Exorcist 3, um, a.k.a. Legion, uh, which I believe came out in the real early 90s or late 80s or something like that. But it has something of a cult status now, and I've always been interested in seeing it. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and if anybody has anything to say about any of the reviews or topics that we talked about in this episode or past, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at mcguffinpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod, and you'll see when we post the episodes and, uh, news stories. Sometimes I do, you know, um, uh, polling the audience for different questions and things like that. Um, and uh, be sure to leave us a one-sentence review and a star rating on whatever your favorite podcatcher is. Specifically, uh, iTunes would be great, but we're also on RussellOnPlayer.fm and PocketCast and uh, the Windows Podcast Network and I think a few other things as well. Hopefully someday we'll get on Spotify. We'll get that... That big Joe Rogan money? (laughs) No, but I would at least like us to be available on Spotify. (laughs) Um, We're not going to get paid millions. And Keith hasn't said anything too controversial that we'll have to delete episodes. At least not that I think. I mean, I could start. Except for your COVID denial. What? (laughs) I'm not. I believe in COVID. (laughs) Um. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at BC Cassidy. And uh, what's your stuff, Keith? Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid, I guess, uh, if you insist. Are um, you doing a horror-tober thing or something for Instagram on your art account? No. Um, Weren't you? No, I'm not. I There's a whole bunch of reasons why i'm not but i don't want to get into it uh (laughs) um no i i did participate in uh horrorgasm 2020 is that that must be what you think yeah that's what i'm thinking of way to make it weird for no reason (laughs) i thought you were talking about inktober Um, no hashtag inktober is dead um no yes i did participate in horrorgasm 2020 uh uh, every there's a group in San Diego called Horrorgasm um, that does horror related events, and every Halloween they have, or every October they have like a little uh, little mini convention. And this year they did it online virtually, so you can check it out uh, by going to horrorgasm2020.com. Um, there's a bunch of cool artwork up, uh, a bunch of like short stories and stuff, and all that stuff's gonna be up till the end of the year. Um, yeah, so check that out. Horgasm2020.com. Okay. And with that, I think that is the end of, end of the episode. That's just a character I played in a movie. Peter Vincent's not even my real name. Bye. <laughs>